the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. This is something that we all need closure for. Whether you believe in execution or not, that's your opinion. Let me have mine. You don't have to answer to the good Lord above for the way I feel. I do. And I will take that. If it comes with punishment from the good Lord above, I will take it because... That's the way I feel. He does not deserve to be alive. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And we were just having a very intense conversation of how we drink our White Claw. I do not drink White Claw. That's how I drink my White Claw. (laughs) I drink it and then drink it and then drink way too much and then have the worst hangover of my life. Mm -hmm. And Billy drinks it on ice. I will drink it on ice. I I guess that might be the way. Maybe you're, you're hydrating. Without knowing, right? Possibly, it? yeah. But I'm usually, you know, drinking whiskey in between it, though. I so just like vodka. Yeah. Maybe I should put vodka in my White Claw. I mean, that goes. do you remember back in the day, Sparks? Oh, my when God. I used, do you remember Sparks, Billy? No, what's that? Sparks were like the original Four loco, mm. but they were bright orange. They'd make your tongue bright orange. Mm-hmm. And back in the day when I was 19 years old, I would have my sparks and i would put vodka into my sparks oh my gosh and i don't know how i didn't die no <laughs> it was brutal dark, dark times dark yeah times. we did not do that with zima which was the i uh, remember zima too but zima was more of a like a smirnoff wine ice. cooler it was yeah. a bit more of a wine cooler smirnoff ice type of thing but and i didn't have all that the, caffeine those were the heady days of the early 90s right it was just a lot of sugar yeah. um what day is it billy you know what it's National First Love Day. Oh my gosh. Do we all want to talk about our first loves? No. No. <laughs> I do not. That's for the first degree book that will come out oh at some point. I mean, I could talk. We should talk about something. We should go well, around you know and talk what, about though? something. This could be my first love. It's also National Cheeseburger Day. Ooh. Ooh. Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh, wait, should we all go around and say our favorite cheeseburger? Yeah. I already know what yours is. What? Shake Shack? Shake Shack. But it used to be... Mine's in and out I can't... I cannot... I can't choose. <laughs> in and out and Shake Shack are so... Good. So delicious for different reasons. But Shake Shack has better fries. McDonald's has the best fries. McDonald's right. has the best fries. McDonald's did have the best fries until they took the beef fallow out of them. The fries that they used They're to have... They're still amazing. so amazing. They are still good if you can get them fresh. The best uh, cheeseburger, I would say, is Five Guys. <gasps> you guys. I disagree. Yeah. When I was in Europe, I ate Five Guys too many times. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> you know what? It's just like, I'm I'm such a good traveler, but I'm not a good international food eater. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really like American food. It's my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So we'd go out and we'd drink too much. And then there's always Five Guys around. Yeah. And Five Guys burgers are so delicious. Yeah, so, yes, come to our uh, Facebook page. Tell us where your favorite cheeseburger is from. And if you want to hear more of our uh, (laughs) crazy shenanigans that go inside of our head, we are trying a new thing. We're doing an after show called The Killing Time. It's called Killing killing Time. Time. It's called Killing Time. We'll see. And we're talking about (laughs) Halloween costumes. Oh, we're talking about all things, everything. So that is if you want to stick around for more banter after the show. Yes. Yes.
Halloween costumes, and black nail polish. Right. All things goth. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Glenn Rogers swooped into Linda Price's life at the Mississippi State Fair, and within three weeks, he not only completely ruined her life, but he stole it as well. Leaving her daughter Crystal and the rest of her family shattered and left to pick up the pieces. But the thing is, Linda wasn't the first beautiful redhead he seduced and murdered in cold blood, nor would she be the last. On our last episode, we left off at the point where the police officers in Mississippi handling Linda's case had connected with police departments in other jurisdictions were investigating vicious homicides that had similar MOs to that of Linda's. And each woman had last been seen with the Casanova killer, the cross-country killer, the man known as Glenn Rogers. Linda Price's family is left in the throes of this nightmare of losing Linda. Glenn is missing and there's a nationwide manhunt underway to locate him. And every day that Glenn remained free, the safety of women across the country was at risk. We still have Crystal with us today to help take us through the remainder of her experience. Not only was it fear from when we found out that there's other victims and, you know, it's hurt for these families and empathizing with these families that they're going through the same thing we're going through they're living a hell like we're going through and you know in fear of how many more victims are there going to be are they going to catch him will they ever catch him where is he at it was it was a nightmare it was truly a nightmare and as police searched for him they started to piece together his movements prior to his arrival in mississippi So although Glenn was from Hamilton, Ohio, he was a drifter type and often traveled and worked traveling carnivals around the country. He was a carny. And in 1995, he was living in Los Angeles, California. More specifically, he was living in the valley and had an apartment on Woodman Avenue. And it's no surprise that his violent tendencies followed him there. Glenn beat various girlfriends he'd been involved with, and he'd been arrested for attacking two men in Hollywood with a knife, which landed him a stint in jail. And although those men survived the attack, Glenn would start killing women by the summer of 1995. And Glenn's reign of terror began on September 29th, 1995. At around 6.30 a.m., a nurse at the Laurel Wood Convalescent Hospital which is located on Victoria Boulevard in L.A., pulled up to the hospital, drove her car into the parking lot behind the building. In the corner of the lot, she could see a pickup truck with Colorado plates parked near some trash cans. And it was by itself. There was no other cars around it. The driver's side door was slightly ajar, and she could see an arm, an elbow, and part of a leg of a man who was leaning into the truck towards the passenger side as if he was reaching for something from across the vehicle. The man she saw had shaggy, shoulder-length sandy hair and was wearing jeans and a short-sleeved shirt. So the nurse got out of her car, and when she looked back at the truck, she noticed that there was smoke 
billowing up from underneath the hood of the car. But the blonde man was still fiddling around inside. And she was sketched out. Understandably, she ran inside and told her colleagues. When a group of them came out to see what was going on in the truck, the truck was completely engulfed in flames. So when firefighters arrived on the scene, they discovered a body in the cab of the pickup. And the smell of gasoline permeated the scene as well. And the lower extremities of the female body inside the truck were charred down to the bone. But interestingly, the floor of the carpet underneath the body was mainly intact, indicating that gasoline had been poured over the body and surrounding areas of the passenger compartment, as opposed to the fire coming from the actual explosion from the engine of the car. So they could tell at this point it was looking like arson. And when the LAPD homicide detectives arrived, they examined the burnt vehicle and they discovered a lady's handbag and it contained documents and photos as well as a marriage certificate found in the pickup's locked metal compartment in the back of the pickup. The name on the documents belonged to 33-year-old Sandra Gallagher. And she was a redhead. The forensic pathologist who performed the autopsy on Sandra's body described her as, quote, severely charred down to the muscle she had bruising or bleeding on the right and left sternohoid muscles a hemorrhage on the right side of the lower part of her voice box and on the left side of her voice box bruising to the thyroid gland broken cartilage on the left side of the throat and multiple hemorrhages inside her tongue and uh, they said he, uh, Sandra had died from asphyxia due to being strangled to death, and she had also been sexually assaulted. So once the detectives had her name, they were able to quickly track down Sandra's husband. And Sandra was a Santa Monica native. So this was in Van Nuys. Oh, no. This was in the Valley, and she was from Santa Monica. So it wasn't that hard to track down her sort of next of kin. And when they spoke to him... They learned that the last time he had spoken to his wife was the night before. She had called him and said that she was at a bar called McRed's in Van Nuys and that she intended to stay there for a few more hours and she was singing karaoke with some new friends that she had made. And basically after he had received this call from her, they hung up. He expected her home later, but she never came. And when they go to McRed's, they speak to bartenders and employees there who help them paint a picture of the previous evening. Sandra had been in the bar the night before for many hours, made friends with some of the employees and the regulars there, who learned that she recently won $1,200 in the state lottery and she was out celebrating, rightfully so. She was driving the Ford F-150 pickup truck with Colorado license place that she was found in because she recently got the car from her father, who had just died, who had lived in Colorado. And on the night she came in, she was wearing a pair of distinctive hoop earrings. She had gotten to McRed's in the early afternoon and started playing pool. Glenn came in at around 7 o'clock p.m. He had recently become a new regular, showing up to the bar two or three times a week during the latter part of September of 1995. So they talked to a particular female bartender, and she described Glenn as being persistent. He was always asking for her number and was pushy about it. And after the first time she said no, Glenn showed up at McRed's during each of her shifts for the next three weeks, constantly, repeatedly asking for her phone number. He would buy her roses and pull out rolls of $100 bills and buy her buy drinks for her uh, and everyone at the bar and tip her big. 
She said Glenn had been with Sandra the night before, and he was wearing cowboy boots, blue jeans, and a brown leather belt with one of those fancy cowboy-style belt buckles. His bleach-blonde hair was long, and it was feathered, and he had a neatly trimmed beard and mustache. So paint that in your head. He approached Sandra, who, quote, brushed him off, and she continued to play pool. But Glenn, as he was, was persistent. And Sandra eventually warmed to him, and they started talking. And Glenn was there with a few friends, and eventually they all left, including Sandra. She was never seen again until she was found on fire behind the hospital. And the staff at McRed's knew Glenn's name, and now so did the LAPD. They located his address and arrived at his apartment on October 5th, 1995, four days after Sandra's murders. So this is the 90s. It's 95. It's not as instant. I mean, I feel like if this had happened now, you could be at a suspect's house the same day or the next day with warrants and such. It took four days, which is pretty fast, I think, considering kind of the nuances of all of this. So police believed that Glenn had killed Sandra and they wanted to arrest him. But as we know, he was long gone and on a Greyhound bus on his way to Jackson, Mississippi, where he'd meet Linda Price at the Mississippi State Fair three days later. So we know that Glenn killed Linda the night before Halloween. And on November 2nd, he was on his way on a Greyhound bus to Louisiana. On that afternoon, Andy Lou Sutton was with her roommate, Teresa, at the It'll Do Lounge. While they were sitting at the bar, Glenn walked in. He was dressed in blue jeans, a striped dress shirt, and had long, blonde hair. Andy leaned over and whispered to her friend and said, I like that, as she motioned towards Glenn. Andy was slender, incredibly beautiful, outgoing, and had long, red hair. Glenn eventually approached the women and struck up a conversation which Andy was pretty thrilled about. And shortly after the introduction, Teresa had to go leave for work. And she bartended at a place down the street. Andy stayed with Glenn. And later that night, Andy called her roommate's bar to let her know that the blonde stranger would be spending the night with them. The women shared a room, so Andy told her that Teresa's pillow and blanket would be on the couch. Glenn stayed with the women for two days at their apartment that was actually situated above a Mormon church. Glenn and Andy totally hit it off, and Andy was falling for Glenn fast, as Linda Price had. And Glenn told them, meaning Andy and her roommate, that he was actually a truck driver and that he drove 18-wheelers, and that he actually had to go to Jackson, Mississippi to retrieve his 18-wheeler. So he left his red pickup truck at Andy's apartment complex, kissed her goodbye, and said he'd be back soon. The two women dropped Glenn off at the Greyhound bus terminal, and he was gone. But instead of going to Jackson, Mississippi, as he said he was, he detoured to Tampa, Florida, and he arrived at a Tampa motel on November 5th. He told the motel clerk that his truck had broken down and he was whining about how tired he was. He got to the room for two days, gave his address as the apartment where he'd killed Linda in Jackson, Mississippi. He quickly dropped off his things in the room and then hopped in a cab to a place called the Showtown Bar in Gibsonton on the outskirts of Tampa. Right. And so the idea here is, is that he knew Gibsonton because it's where a lot of carnies stayed and hung out because he was known to travel with 
carnivals. Yeah. I mean, that's something he did, I think, between 27 and 30. And basically, I got this information uh, from an article by Kathleen Ramsland, and she described Gibsonton as a unique town south of Tampa, the residence of numerous carnies, such as the bearded lady, rubber face, the human blockhead, little people, and giants. What's the human blockhead? That's a great question. But she described, as far as painting a picture of this town, most of these buildings are one-story, run-down concrete eyesores. But it's an interesting to enter a grocery store to see the mixed clientele. Some residents even kept elephants in their yards, which is sad. Um, and they all lived in this place because they were different and shared a history of being outcasts and exhibits in traveling carnivals. There was once even a sensational murder in Gibsonton once, and it was um, a bully known as Lobster Boy. Yeah, yeah. so Lobster Boy actually shot and killed, this is according to Wikipedia, shot and killed his oldest daughter's fiance on the eve of their wedding. Hmm. All right, so back to the story. Glenn walked into the bar a little before 1 p.m. He got shit-faced for close to five hours. And at some point, a beautiful 34-year-old with red hair, of course, named Tina Cribs, walked into the bar with three of her friends. The woman caught Glenn's attention immediately, and he sent over a round of drinks to the women. They were charmed. And Glenn introduced himself as Randy, and he cozied up to Tina. They drank together for hours, and her friends eventually grew tired and left. And Tina was waiting for her mother to meet her at the bar that night. So she told the bartender to tell her mom when she got there that she would be back really quick. She'd be back in 20 minutes. She was just going to go give somebody a ride. And Tina and Glenn, a.k.a. Randy, were seen leaving and getting into Tina's white Ford Festiva. Tina's mom, Mary, gets to the bar, waits for her. But Tina never returned, and no one ever saw her again. Mary and her daughter, Tina, had a system where if there was an emergency she would page her daughter with the number 69. Over the course of the evening, Mary paged Tina with their emergency code over 30 times, and she got no response. So she knew that something was was definitely wrong. Well, yeah, because it's one thing to just, like, if you don't... If it's not a big deal and you're flaking on somebody, that's whatever. Yeah. But if, if you have an emergency code with your mom, and clearly they're close enough, they're meeting at a bar, yeah. they have a code... If someone's paging you that it's an emergency 30 times... You know it's an emergency. Oh, it's she not knew. like, oh, I'm going to make out with this guy. Let me she had yeah. to have known. Yeah. yeah. So she called the police right away. And because she knew that, that this was bad, something terrible had to have happened. Two days later, a housekeeper approached Glenn's room to clean it and noticed a handwritten do not disturb note on the door. But she went inside and made a chilling discovery. Inside the room, the bed was unmade... The TV was blaring. Right. And there were blood-soaked shoes, pants, and towels piled on the bathroom floor next to the toilet. There was blood smeared on the counter and the floor and the foyer, as well as on the bathroom shower stall. Blood had also dripped down from the sink counter and the bathtub and the toilet fixtures. Tina's body was found face up in the bathtub with articles of clothing in between her legs. There were several cigarette butts and a small gold bracelet inside of the hotel sink. She too had numerous stab wounds, including a very significant stab wound to the right buttock area and a large stab wound under her left breast. 
And as soon as Tina's mother heard the news reports of a Jane Doe being found in the motel, she knew it was her daughter because they also gave a physical description. And she'd been missing for, I think, three days. And compounded with the unanswered pages, she knew. This time we get home from the funeral and we get a call. My grandmother gets called. There's another person found that has ties to Glenn. She was found in Tampa, Florida. So we're thinking, oh gosh, you know, what is going on? Here's another victim. A day later, my grandmother gets another call that there was a victim in California a month prior um, that he supposedly has strangled and set on fire in her vehicle. So meanwhile, in Mississippi, Crystal and the rest of Linda's family were terrified that Glenn would show back up and kill them as he threatened to on the phone. Because remember, on the day of the viewing of Linda's body prior to the funeral, Glenn had called and threatened them. If you say anything, I will kill you. He claimed to be his brother, but they recognized his voice as belonging to Glenn. And at this point too, Linda's family has no reason to doubt that his threats that he means what he's saying because they are learning that they've he's killed over and over again. More and more women were turning up murdered after coming in contact with Glenn. And the police were on Glenn's trail from Florida because Glenn had actually rented his hotel room under his real name. The police knew who they were looking for, but they had no idea where he was going or what he would do next. And if you were thinking that Andy Sutton had lucked out by not being hurt by Glenn... You were right, but unfortunately, he went back. He went to Louisiana, met Auntie Sutton at a night, spent the night with her, then went to Florida, met Tina Cribs, killed her, then came back to Jackson, spent the night in the apartment with my dead mother, then left there and went back to Louisiana where he killed Andy. So driving Tina Cribbs's Ford Festiva, Glenn headed back to Louisiana to link back up with Andy Sutton. When he got there, he greeted her and told her that he had a surprise for her. He'd gotten her a car because Andy didn't have one. But this sounds familiar. It's exactly what Glenn did with Linda Price. He was love bombing her after days of knowing her without even knowing her. And it's even more twisted in this case because the car that he had brought back for Andy belonged to the woman that he'd killed days before in Tampa, Tina Krebs. Wow. So gross. Yes. It's so fucking and dark. We, and we, we've seen this before. And the, the, actually, we've seen this also a lot in, in fictional stuff, too, where um, a guy kills somebody, takes their uh, jewelry, and then mm-hmm. gives it to... Usually, it's jewelry. You know, you, it's very rarely that it's a car. But uh, this is... This is super twisted because not only did he use this as his escape his escape vehicle, mm-hmm. and then he used it as a lure of with the love bomb and saying, I got you a car. Look at that. Well, because I think he saw how effectively, I think he actually bought, what I think happened, he couldn't give Sandra's car to Linda because he set her on fire. Oh, right? Yeah. So cars. he took a Greyhound bus and I think he needed a car. He he said it was for Linda and I think the effect it had on her. So then he was like, huh, if I give a woman a car, I kind of get whatever I want. Yeah. So he then used the same method on, on Andy, but had this car. And 
Like we had said previously, when he had first met Andy, he left his red truck at her apartment complex. So he had to explain why he was coming back with this white car. Right. It's a gift. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because he said yeah. he was going back to get his 18-wheeler. Yeah. Why would he just show up with a new car? It's a gift for you. You don't have a car. Here you go. So he's like killing two birds with one stone, making an excuse Mm -hmm. for himself and also... And then also winning her over. Exactly. So Andy obviously had no idea, but she was over the moon, rightfully so, and she, Glenn, and her roommate, Teresa, decided to go out bar hopping together. Within a few hours, Glenn was glassy-eyed and wasted again, and Andy told Teresa that she was going to take Glenn back to their place to quote-unquote sleep it off. So Andy's roommate, Teresa, went to work, and Andy and Glenn went back to their place to sleep it off, I guess, after this bar crawl. Teresa got back to their apartment at around 3 a.m. Glenn's red truck, the pickup, was still parked in the complex's parking lot. And she walks into the apartment. The lights are all on, but it didn't seem like anyone was home. So Teresa sat on the couch, and she ended up just passing out until the morning. She wakes up the next morning, and she's looking around the apartment. She goes inside the bedroom and calls out, Andy? And then she pulls the bedding off the bed, and what she finds horrifies her. Under the covers was the battered and bloody body of her roommate, Andy. And there was so much blood around the chest area that... And and there was also a pillow covering her entire head... At first, she couldn't tell for sure if it was Andy or not. She pulled the pillow off, and she saw what she described as, and this is a quote, the most horrible, agonizing facial features that she had ever seen. Andy's arm was back behind her head, and there were also cut marks on her right wrist. There were stab wounds to Andy's abdomen, upper body, back, shoulders, and torso, and Andy's mattress was a waterbed, and the mattress had multiple punctures and was leaking everywhere. So Andy's cause of death was determined to be multiple stab wounds, some of which were more than six inches deep. In total, Andy had 14 stab wounds, including numerous defensive wounds on her fingers and wrist, one of which penetrated down to her muscle. The murder weapon had been removed from a butcher block knife set from their kitchen. What terrified Teresa further was that Glenn had killed Andy while Teresa had been sleeping on the couch and done so quietly. So that means that she had got home. It's insane. Saw that all the lights were on. Their door was shut. They shared a room. And she passed it on the couch. And she knows this. She knows it hadn't happened because when she woke up, her purse was gone. Glenn had robbed the place and taken her purse. Oh, wow. So he could have killed her too while she was sleeping on the couch. Easily. And, but what he probably, why he didn't is probably because he didn't think Teresa was home. So when he came out, he was probably like, shit, I should probably just take what I can and bounce. Bail, As opposed to like risk her yelling, a neighbor hearing, whatever. Um, But he very easily could have Glenn's reign of terror was now national news, and Glenn was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list, and the whole country was on edge, especially every family member of his victims. And terrified women across the country were left to wonder, is Glenn Rogers coming to my state next? Because nobody knew where he was. And he had killed people in multiple states. He went from California, then to Mississippi, 
then to Tampa, so it's Florida. Not like you're dealing with a serial killer. Yeah, you're not dealing with a serial killer that's like in my Area. Like county. Exactly, he could strike anywhere, anytime. Very Bun- Bundy esque. Yes. yes. And this man who possessed the power to charm his victims on a whim could be anywhere. And arrest warrants were issued for him in Florida, Mississippi, and California. And a particularly terrifying and interesting part of Glenn's crimes is he was leaving marks. He was using his real name wherever he went, and he wanted people to know it was him. He was trying to make a name for himself, and they believed that he was enjoying the killing and the fear that he was instilling across the entire country. And he's like a mixture of like, it's similar to what BTK was doing, where it's like he was enjoying it. He was enjoying yeah. the notoriety. Ted Bundy was sort of transient in that he was popping around to avoid getting caught. And then just the the charming of the women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it is very, he was winning them over, starting relationships. And men would do this. Yeah. And it's then just, would just disappear. And I mean, do, doing, doing the, the, going through the, the idea of doing the love bombing with this car and saying, I'm giving you a car and everything like that just to get them in a vulnerable situation and then killing them. I got to say though, Jack, how many times have you been that girl? And I'm saying this because I have, where it's like a very handsome man walks into a bar and you're like, oh shit, that guy is so my type. Oh yeah. And then you were so excited when he, you're his type too, and you hit it off and Mm -hmm. you go have another drink together and you do this whirlwind thing. I mean, that's how all my relationships have actually started. No, me too. And that when we're reading through this, it is such a normal type of way Way of meeting a guy and it you know the friends leave and then you're just left together and it's you don't ever think that you're being put in a very like scary or dangerous situation not only that too it's like for example andy first of all had a roommate you know what i mean like glenn it wasn't like i'm gonna pick a woman alone it's like Andy's he, like, yeah, oh, I have here. a roommate who will come home if there was ever anything wrong. I like have someone looking out for me. Same thing, Sandra in in Los Angeles, she actually left with two of Glenn's friends and Glenn. Yeah. They took a separate car. They were supposed to follow each other. And it's like, you leave with a bunch of friends. You don't, you're not alone. It just seems he was an expert at just making people feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. And comfortable. Yeah. So it was more info about. Glenn emerged. It was revealed that he was also wanted for murder of his former roommate, who was a family friend named Mark Peters. In Glenn's hometown of Hamilton, there was this elderly man named Mark Peters, who Glenn had actually lived with at 10 different addresses over 14 years after his mother no longer let Glenn live with her. And Glenn was living with Mark in September 1993, and a month later, um, Mark went missing all of a sudden. And he was a 71-year-old electrician, and he was a veteran. He was, you know, he would just let Glenn in and, and, you know, help him get back on his feet again. And he would ask Glenn maybe to do some light errands in exchange for the room and board. Right. And Mark actually had family, and he had a daughter um, who lived in the Hamilton area as well. So when he turned up missing in late October... His daughter reported it to the police, and she said that her father, Mark, had a collection of coins, antiques, and some guns, all of which were missing. And the police searched, but found no trace of Mark. So it was really perplexing. And the Hamilton police wanted to speak with Glenn about Mark's disappearance, but Glenn had already left for Los Angeles, and they were unable to immediately locate him. 
And Mark's car was also missing. Fast forward to the end of 1993 to January of 1994. Police searching for Mark eventually searched a cabin owned by one of Glenn's family members and found a skeleton bound to a chair under a pile of furniture. Due to the state of the remains, officials were unable to ascertain the cause of death, but it was clearly no accident. And they were able to identify the skeleton as belonging to 71-year-old Mark Peters. The police suspected Glenn, but he was long gone. But, you know, his absence initially, prior to him being implicated in Mark's death, was not atypical. Glenn would leave Hamilton for weeks, months, or even years at a time, but he would always return home eventually. So it wasn't odd for him to pick up and disappear and travel with carnivals and do the things he was known to do. So, but, you know, after Mark's body was found, there was a federal warrant issued for Glenn's arrest for the suspected involvement in Mark Peters' murder. What was also included in the flurry of media coverage about Glenn, his crimes, and the manhunt was an interview with his mother that appeared in the Cincinnati Enquirer. Edna Rogers urged her son to turn himself in and also begged the police not to hurt him. She told the Enquirer, quote, they have no proof of his guilt. He just happened to be in the area where the killings took place. I think they have a patsy and they're going with it. She also said, my son was the most caring child of all of my children. She also told the police that she spoke with Glenn on the phone two weeks prior and he denied killing family friend Mark Peters and all of the women. Edna told the police that he had a typical childhood, but he dropped out of school in the ninth grade because of a reading difficulty. But she did say that he had a rash that developed after falling into a toxic puddle. And she said, quote, you know how kids get into things. What the hell? That's basically the Joker right there, falling into a toxic puddle. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, yes. That must be it. It's such an odd thing for a, a mom to be like, my son's innocent. Except- he had a normal childhood. However, yeah, he, he fell did into, fall into that toxic, into toxic, puddle. toxic puddle. That is so, so you know, weird. Bananas. Bananas. Wasn't anything I did. Certainly not. Yeah. It can't be anything that the mom did. Nope. But now's a good time as any to talk about Glenn's mommy issues. And we talked about this in episode one, but here's the whole picture. So Glenn was of, quote, Hamiltuckian stock. And this is a very disparaging reference to the backwoods culture of Appalachia. He was one of seven children born to Edna and Claude Rogers. His dad worked at a paper mill for 16 years. He drank every day, was an alcoholic, and he often beat Edna and beat the seven kids. And he once threatened to kill his wife if she left him during one of the beatings. He broke her nose and knocked her out. She was completely unconscious. Right. So off the bat, we have a lot of... um physical abuse that he's witnessing. Yeah. They were poverty stricken. We mentioned this in episode in part one, but he, you know, when his dad lost his job, the seven of them, seven of the siblings, plus the two parents had to move into a two bedroom home with one bathroom. So it's kind of breed. It's, it's not conducive to a lot of space and health and boundaries and all of those sorts of things. The parents of Glenn, the father specifically kept several guns in the home and he was fired from the paper mill for drinking on the job. And after he lost his job, they had to move into the worst part of town. When you move to bad parts of town, obviously you're exposed to more 
crime and um, bad influences, high-risk behavior, things like that. The seven kids were tormented by the neighborhood children, and the father encouraged them to fight back, to defend themselves, which encouraged sort of like this violent reaction to such things. And Glenn apparently ate paint chips and dirt. So the paint chips were potentially lead. lead. Mm -hmm. And he uh, was a bedwetter until he was 12 years old. There's no shame in that. No. Everyone. (laughs) But it is considered in the triad of serial killers, though. Sure. And he also apparently banged his head purposefully over and over on the edge of his bed, and he would concuss himself and become unconscious. And by the way, when he was doing this, apparently he was showing, he wasn't crying, and he was showing, like, no signs of distress at all. Yeah, it's not good. If I see my kid doing that, I'm going to be like, I'm out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Find a new mom. (laughs) So Glenn's older brother, Clay, introduced him to drugs and alcohol at the age of 12 as well. He was also beaten by his parents more frequently than the other siblings because he was a little bit more rebellious. And when Glenn was 16, his father became disabled from a heart attack. And I have to say, in the last episode, I said it was a stroke. If you look at the reporting, they report on both. It was a stroke. It was a heart attack. He was incapacitated by some illness. Um, So I can't confirm which one it was. But either way, it's like you're seeing a lot of uh, things where if you have maybe the ability to be pushed into like the sociopathy, yeah, uh, horrible direction, these variables aren't helping. They aren't helping at you all. You know, poverty, no supervision, violence. Abuse. Abuse. He also, you know, Neglect. there's all sorts of things that were happening. Yeah. So by the way, a lot of this information that we're talking about with Glenn's childhood comes from a documentary called My Brother, the Serial Killer. That's kind of from Clay's perspective of his life with Glenn and how that all happened. And an interesting thing that I saw on the documentary was talking about when Glenn was born. So before Glenn was born, the mom and the dad had five children. Six. Six children. They didn't want any more kids. So she wanted to get her tubes tied. So they had to get a judge to approve of her getting her tubes tied. This was in Ohio, and he was born in 1967. Yeah. So this was in the 1960s. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So they went to the judge, and the judge basically said no. She's not allowed to do it because she wasn't in any physical danger, whatever. So that's after that is when Glenn was born. So basically, they didn't want him. So that's the basis for kind of how his childhood sort of went after that. And then there's, we also talked about, there's this Radford University study on him. And they bring up this, and it, and it sounds odd just if you don't know the, the, the context behind it, but they bring up that he was born via cesarean section. And there are some real wackadoodle um, theories out there that if you're born via cesarean section as opposed to a vaginal birth, that you are not as connected with your mother. mother. Um, it's insane. And it's, it's just ridiculous. And so, like, while Radford University, they were compiling all this information, they were tossing in some what many would call pseudoscience. But, I mean, yeah. they weren't even saying anything about it. It was literally a timeline. No, they just threw it in there. They threw yeah. it in there because maybe it's relevant. Maybe yeah. in the future they would determine that it was. Right. I mean, yeah, but- who knows? And maybe it speaks more to... The mom it speaks more to the mother's age than necessarily anything else. Where it's like if you're the seventh kid, I don't know how old she was when she gave birth to Glenn. Yeah, maybe but you could a cesarean also speak section, to the fact that there was a shitty fucking mom. 
Yeah. Well, and according to right. the the that Radford University information, when Glenn was still a baby, his mom slapped him so hard that it, apparently he was unable to breathe and he actually passed out. And they actually approved. Uh, they used restraints on him to subdue him, and when he learned to free his arms from those restraints, she kept him tied in, and then that's when he would start eating that paint off the walls. Jesus. And then, during baths, his mom grabbed his head and held it underwater, and apparently she threatened to kill her children and even tried to drive off a cliff with all of them in the car. Wow. In this day and time, people are this world is so quick. Well, you know, you have a illness, you have depression, you have this and you have that. Let's blame that for how screwed up you are. You know, your mother or your father abused you. Let's blame that on the way you are. Okay, I can I can understand that. My thing is you choose your path. Yeah. Because of my mother's murder, I have dealt with depression. I have dealt with a lot of mental illnesses. Um, and I'm still dealing with things now. And it does stimulate from my mother's murder and the things that took place. But I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, I can go out and rob a bank. And it's because of things that have happened. No. You choose your path. He chose his path. If he had a bad childhood, I'm so sorry for him. I I could not never, as a mother of five children, understand how someone could hurt their children. Never. You had a bad childhood. You can either let it make you or break you. And it, it obviously he let it break him to the point where he thought, you know, he had so much hatred for his mother that he took it out on other women. So as we've previously mentioned, Glenn beat all the women in his life. He had been arrested for a list of charges too long to list. Robbery, assault, arson, and a million times over, he'd been arrested for several other violent offenses. On multiple occasions spanning from 14 to 33 when his killing spree began. But the thing we really should talk about is the fact that he targeted redheads and his mother was a redhead. And that's a pretty obvious correlation. I mean, I mean, there is a Psychology Today article by Catherine Ramsland who talks about how there's actually a couple of serial killers who've targeted redheads. And one of them, I can't recall what his name was, but they said that when he saw a redheaded woman, it would, he would become lusty for like violence and i don't know what this is and i know billy you like redheads too i i think redheads are attractive (laughs) yeah wait do you are you (laughs) well they're unique they're the they're fewest of them you know what i mean i like redheads too i mean i think it's interesting that like he only killed redheads yeah no i think they're and his mother they had this thing with his mother yeah Yeah. well there's a lot of mommy issues Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases similar to this but that's kind of that's the marker and that's the correlation that he's taking Mm -hmm. is the hair. Yeah. And there has to be a, a connection because it was obvious because remember when we were talking about the women that he's meeting, he's meeting other women at the same time. And he's, he's meeting these women in groups. 
And he's going home with, with two women. He's choosing the redhead, and he's doing this over and over again. Well, and, I mean, Debbie was his wife. Debbie was blonde. He didn't kill Debbie. He had a girlfriend in um, Los Angeles. I think her name was Mary. He didn't kill Mary. I mean, he didn't kill all of the women. And another thing that Crystal said, the night Linda was murdered, he had gotten off the phone with his mother. In the Radford University study, they said he called his mother after he killed Linda and said some really dark stuff. And Crystal said that he would call his mother before all of his killings. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's very Ed Kemper-esque. Yes. Very Ed Kemper-esque. Yeah. So back to the manhunt, America's Most Wanted actually covered Glenn and his murders. The police went around to all the different carnivals looking for him. And uh, I mean, you could just imagine how, um, how difficult that is because but you defend a bunch of other criminals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Potentially God. not every, not everybody that works at a carnival is a criminal, but, um, but that's certainly the stereotype. <laughs> that, that is the stereotype, and I do love carnivals. So, um, you know, the police were becoming concerned about this guy because they were hearing stories about him, and he's showing up at the bars, and he's showing his face. He's flashing cash. He's buying everyone shots, and it seemed as if he knew the end was going to come. And he wasn't trying to hide and stay under the radar. He might have been potentially going out in a blaze of glory. And it potentially could have been only a matter of time until he was going to have that urge, that feeling that I'm, I want to kill again because you know, he's not trying to save himself now because he's just showing himself everywhere. Right. And eventually, the police got their lucky break. So Glenn was spotted mid-afternoon by state troopers on a two-lane road in Waco, Kentucky, 120 miles from his hometown of Hamilton. And how they actually spotted him, I mean, basically, Glenn had stopped by a cousin's house, and the cousin called the police and told them and said that she was heartbroken to do it, she was reluctant to do it, but she had to do it. Good on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so the trooper who spotted him had a photo of Glenn in his car and they were looking for him. Obviously, like I mentioned, the cousin reported. So they, they had a roadblock set up and all of that stuff. And when they approached Glenn, he was drinking and driving and he took a swig of beer out of a beer can and threw the empty can at the police cruiser before speeding off. And throughout Damn. the police chase, he was throwing half drunk cans of beer at the police cars. <laughs> That'll get him. So the high-speed chase ensued, and Glenn reached 100 miles per hour, and at one point, he drove right between a number of patrol cars attempting to act as a barrier, barricade, roadblock, what have you. So they actually attempted to shoot at Glenn during the chase at one point, but they missed, so nobody was injured. But the chase continued for 50 miles through four towns, with Glenn running red lights and driving on the wrong side of the highway until he was finally run off the road. The drunken Glenn Rogers smelled of alcohol and was looking dazed and confused and had a crazed look on his face when they pulled him from the vehicle. No shit. And finally, on November 13th, two weeks after Linda's murder, Glenn Rogers was finally taken into custody. Numerous items were recovered from Tina's car and were identified as belonging to her. Florida and Mississippi license plates were recovered from the vehicle. Additional items in the car, including a cooler packed with food, a comforter, and social security cards belonging to Andy Sutton's roommate were identified as having been stolen from Andy and Teresa's apartment. So obviously, Crystal and 
her family were relieved at hearing the news of Glenn's arrest. Um, it was two weeks, uh, approximately two weeks. It was the first day I had went back to school. Well, the end of the day, it was time for me to go home, and my aunt, which was my mother's sister, was supposed to pick me up, and she wasn't there. So I start freaking out. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's gotten to swarm my family. He's done something. And an hour goes by and nobody's there. Nobody's heard from my family, anybody in my family. And about that time, my aunt flies up into the school area and she's like, they called him. They called him. I'm like, they found Glenn? She said, yes. And she's like, they've got him. He's in custody. We can breathe a little bit, just a little bit, but you know, not much, but a little bit, because they actually did have him. It, we, that's when we went and the new cast, they came out and they showed us the actual footage of the chase and the arrest. So now that Glenn was in custody, did Crystal and her family feel any better? Um, I, we were all relieved that they had called him, but... The fear was there. He had done implanted that so deep that I would, I mean, none of us would ever be normal again. We would never have any kind of sense of normal life of not being in fear and not constantly looking and wondering and thinking, you know, second guessing. Um, there's always, even 24 years later, there's still fear. I mean, I'm, there's times that I'm, I think I'm fine, and then there's times that I'm scared to even get out of bed of what dangers lie ahead. So police are interviewing Glenn, and they start telling him, we've got you for five people. We think you murdered five people. People And Glenn's like, you know what? I killed 70 people. So he starts talking over and over again, hours and upon hours, saying that he's murdered 70 people. And the statement eventually makes it to the news. And soon, Glenn is being described as the USA's most prolific serial killer. And police departments with unsolved murders in more than 200 jurisdictions where they knew that these uh, carnivals had come into, start looking at Glenn. So everybody that, you know, they're trying to match up, was there a homicide at the same time of a carnival, putting two and two together and saying, could this potentially have been Glenn? Glenn's sister Sue went on the show A Current Affair and said that her brother had admitted to killing 55 people and that she was really afraid of him. And eventually, Glenn stopped talking and he lured up. So Tina Cribbs's loved ones mourned her by bringing her ashes to the Showtown bar in Tampa, where she had met Glenn. They put the urn containing her ashes on the bar and ordered a round. We had our last drink with her as they cried, her friends said. And with info garnered during the preparation for the murder trials, along with the media attention, more info about Glenn came to light. In an article by Nick Riccardi for the LA Times, 
he offered some interesting info. And I'm, I'm clearly including this so we could, it really paints a really good picture of Glenn. And I know we've explained like his big belt buckles and his upbringing, but some of these anecdotes are really specific and demonstrate him really well. So a childhood friend of Glenn said that he liked the party life, the rough redneck cowboy life. He recalled Glenn smiling and constantly singing the song, All My Exes Live in Texas, substituting Ohio for Texas. All right, first of all, let's stop right there. It doesn't even rhyme. It doesn't rhyme. I know, but it. it I can see a guy singing in the back of a pickup truck, <laughs> like, live in Ohio. Ohio. <sighs> I just, it paints a really good picture. No, it does. And he's so, also a fucking idiot. Yeah, well, and he's a sociopath, but yeah, well, he was also described murder. as others, um, he was described by others from his hometown as being the most street smart mofo any of them had ever met, many of whom idolized Glenn. Other people described him as a man who you could never find during the day. He'd only be found at night in the same CD bars where he perfected his skills of picking up women. And they described these bars as bars that only serve drinks in red cups. Mm-hmm. You know, like shells of peanuts on the grounds like it was a this article by nick ricardi was his coverage of this case was brilliant it was really good but it paints a good picture it's like this is where he was born this is where he sharpened his like sweet talking sort of like country was born this was his training ground Mm -hmm. and this is how he sharpened everything and then he was able to when he did walk into a bar in a new town it was kind of like, Ooh, Turn on the who, charm. Who, who's this Who's this new stranger, this blonde-haired stranger? And you know what? He didn't go anywhere where that wouldn't work. I mean, L.A., there's a big, like, su- we, you know, we love that stuff here. Yeah. The country, sort of. We love transplants. We mm-hmm. love people from other yeah, places. Yeah, we think it's endearing. Yeah, it's not like he was going to New York City with this or Chicago. Oh, my God. Like, he was going to Louisiana. You know, he was going to he Mississippi. He was going to places that he either fit in or he would stand out in a good way. And he was going to places where he'd be a big fish in a small pond. Right. Like the mysterious stranger from out of town. Where an eight, you know, he's driving an 18-wheeler. And that's like, oh, mm-hmm. big money, worldly. Mm-hmm. Like, because truck drivers make decent money. Mm-hmm. So he knew who to target to be this Casanova. And that's why they named him the Casanova Killer. Okay, but when the pros examined Glenn's crimes, they determined that he was what they called an organized lust killer. And it seemed that he killed both for financial gain and for his own satisfaction or relief. And that was assuming that his murders were triggered by anger. And he was sloppy in allowing people to see him with all of his victims. He was using his real name in a lot of places. And that may have sped up his killing spree due to the stress of realizing that he'd probably be caught and then killed. He also had an average IQ and suffered multiple head injuries, including intracranial bleeding after being beaten by pool cue and being knocked out with a tire iron. That's interesting. Which part? (laughs) Well, so basically what happened was, I mean, doctors look at his brain scans. Yeah. There's no way to tell. I mean, they notice like this temporal lobe is different, but like you don't know if that's from his substance abuse. Yeah. Naturally or occurring from the, the or from his that, head injuries. And when he, yeah, when he was doing that as a kid. Or the toxic yeah. waste bathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or being submerged in his bathtub. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this guy's or his, or his mother, when he was uh, an infant, knocking him out, apparently, yeah. according to the brother. Slapping and, yeah. him off. Well, and they were saying it could, you know, his, his, it would impact his impulse control, mm-hmm. his empathy, mm-hmm. and his ability to quit alcohol. Right. Like these these brain damages. But yeah. I'm not going to get into the medical shit because I'm not a doctor. Oh, you aren't? Wait, you're not? What the fuck have we been doing? I thought this was a medical podcast. 
All right. So Glenn was in custody and that was simple, but prosecuting him would not be so simple. So Glenn was first going to face charges in Florida for the Tina Cribbs murder. And he had an eight-day trial. The jury convicted him of first-degree murder, gave him the death penalty. Specifically, he was to die by the electric chair. And Glenn was actually the first convicted killer to be extradited from the death row of one state, which was Florida, and to be tried for murder in another state, which is California. Because back in the day, you know, if if they thought, okay, this guy's, he probably is responsible for this, this, and this, these murders, but we've got him. He's going to be killed. We're not going to want any more. Uh, you know, we don't want to go through, go through really the expense is really what it came down to. Right. And so, but in this case, they did. I mean, he was transferred to Los Angeles. He was tried for murdering 33-year-old Sandra Gallagher. And during Glenn's trial for Sandra's murder, her mother and sister testified how her murder totally destroyed the entire family. Sandra had three sons who were seven, eight, and 15 at the time she was killed. And she had actually been in the Navy as an aviation electronics technician. She scored the highest out of all of Butte County on the Navy's intelligence test. So this was a brilliant woman. woman. It's hard to get into the Navy. And uh, she was a mother of three. She was smart. She was intelligent and loved by her sons and husband. And Glenn took her away from all of them. A jury convicted Glenn of the first-degree murder of Sandra Gallagher as well as arson. He was given the death penalty. Glenn's mother, Edna, testified during the penalty phase and begged for life in prison instead of death for her son. As she walked out of the courtroom, Rogers mouthed to her, you did okay. I think even this is so crazy. Like, their weird relationship. Yeah. Fucking odd. You did. I can see it. I can see like you did okay, mom. And it's like he doesn't hate his mother, but he does. Yeah, Yeah, he for sure does. Uh huh. For sure. And he was never tried for Linda's murder. And according to police reports, the reason is that the Hines County District Attorney's Office said they weren't going to try him because he already had two death penalty convictions. They didn't want to put Linda's family through the trial. Again, I believe it was probably also about money as well. Yeah. And he also wasn't, remember, he wasn't prosecuted for Mark Peters, and he wasn't prosecuted for Andy's. So what's even more interesting is he wasn't prosecuted for Linda's murder, but he at least eventually admitted to all of the other murders, except for Linda's. He denied ever meeting her. My mother is the only woman that he claims to never have met. He claims he never even knew my mother, but yet we have pictures of him and my mother together. Um, it royally kicks me off that he was never tried in Mississippi. I, that's one of the things that I have dealt with in my life that maybe I didn't fight hard enough. And... I did. I know I did. I There was not much I could do as a child, um, but as I got older, I pushed. I asked questions. I wanted to know why. And finally, I got a hold of the people that I needed to talk to to find out why he was not tried here, and that's when I got those answers. And, and it wasn't good enough. It's not good enough. Um, it still hurts. And it makes me very angry that he will never 
get justice for my mother. But it does give me some relief that he will be, he has been sentenced for at least two of his victims. So either way, we know he will never get out of jail, whether they execute him or not. You know, oftentimes you hear stories about killers, serial killers, who will admit to a bunch of murders, and then there's one that he had definitely done, but then he'll say no. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it's for, um, it might be a child. Well, they always deny that because of yeah. prison. Because, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, but this is possibly because he was too close to the victim mm-hmm. in a sense. And he feels, and he feels, he sort of feels, he potentially might feel a little, I don't want to say he feels bad about it, um, but there's something there that is, whenever you, you see somebody that is um, saying, no, I didn't do this to a particular victim, you look at the victimology what was different from her than the other ones? It's because he actually had a relationship with well, her. They and moved, moved in, in together. Yeah. They were together for like three weeks straight. Yeah, you know, met the family. I mean, uh, Tina Cribs. They met at a bar. She was dead that yeah. night. Um, he spent two days with Andy Sutton, and then came back, killed her that night. It's when just he returned, like a weird thing, though. That killed he, Sandra Gallagher that night. I mean, he got to know. His yeah. her children, her mother. But that's the thing. It's like it's it's interesting to me because there are other people around that are alive that knew you and knew that you met her. It's not trying to just pretend that you didn't meet a random yeah. person. Well, that's interesting you say that. So let's hear how Glenn reacted when Crystal decided to write him a letter in jail. I had um sent him a letter. And that goes back to of why he denied knowing my mother. And I asked him in this letter, you know, I was 18 years old, maybe a little past that, but I had had a nervous breakdown and I needed answers. I wanted answers. He needed to tell me what possessed him to take my mother from us. So I wrote him that letter, you know, and then I said, why did you deny knowing her? You live with her. You showered her with gifts at the beginning. Why would you deny that? And then why would you take her life? And, you know, I figured, you know, he would read it. So, uh, you know, I I didn't figure he would write back. But no, two months later, I get a letter from his attorney that I had offended Glenn. I had, and that I better not contact Glenn ever again or actions would be taken, so to say. And I'm like, I offended him? Really? <laughs> you got butthurt over a friggin' letter when you have murdered all these women? You didn't get offended when you were stabbing them? You know, offended? Uh-huh. Well, let's smoke up somebody else because I hate that I offended you, but you know, it was just crazy. Offended him. Here you are, one, this big, billy, badass serial killer, but yet this kid that you murdered her mother offended you. Yeah. Okay. He had his attorney write back saying, you're offending him. Please don't contact him Or upsetting him. Jesus. No, he's the worst. Piece of fucking shit. Imagine, so Crystal was 18 at the time. She just had a nervous breakdown. She was 14 when her mother was murdered. Yeah. Just 
Crystal. <laughs> and then you're upsetting him. Crystal's strength is incredible. Yeah. You know, it's like, cause she was, this is only four years old at this time. And how she dealt with this is just. And you have to, you have to Crystal. think that, listen, every, it takes a lot to have somebody that is in jail uh, for life or eventually, you know, on death row to say, I don't want letters. Because yeah. they want letters. Letters is a big thing for them. They yeah, want to, They want stuff. That's the bored. stuff. that They like that stuff. They're bored. They want to see what's going on. For somebody to say that and then also deny it too, there was something really different about this murder than the other murders for this asshole. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right. I think it goes hand in hand with denying it. Yeah. So on the heels of what we were talking about earlier with not prosecuting Andy's murder with not prosecuting Linda's and not prosecuting Mark Peters. The fact that Glenn said he killed 70 people, his sister Sue said he killed 55 people. I don't feel like there was a massive effort made to connect him to other murders. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know if like we looked at what was happening between 95 and 97. I don't think, I think there are more. And I don't think a huge effort was made. But he had bragged to acquaintances that Sandra Gallagher was actually his eighth murder. And she, her murder occurred before Andy's, Linda's, and Tina's. So, you know, there's that to start. In California, Glenn was suspected in four unsolved killings in Ontario and Port Wyneme, where the victims were either strangled or stabbed, set on fire, or left in bathtubs. These were all similar to his other murders. There was a woman named Carrie Ellen Gaskins. She was from Ohio. She was a redhead. And apparently Glenn forced her into sex work, and she was found stabbed to death. And many believe that Glenn was the one that stabbed her to death. And there are many, many others. With Glenn's work, traveling to the carnivals, there's, there's no way to know how many crimes he could be connected to. But it's, it's one of those things that, that I've seen people looking at online trying to match up. You know, and, and when you're a carnival worker, you're not even necessarily sure which carnival you're working at because there's a bunch of different carnivals mm-hmm. trying to match up who is in town the is you know these people went missing these people went murdered it's actually batman returns that was one of the storylines it was like there was a carnival in town and then people would go missing and it was because that was the penguin killing people it's crazy that this stuff happens in real life and that's what this guy was he was a menace that was going around from town to town and just doing his thing and it's weird that there's still these like constructs and it's not a social like it's weird that these things like carnivals still f- crime still follows them. Yeah. And it's this transient sort of, um, uh, existence that still breeds killings like murders in a way that it's like being back in the seventies. It's so strange. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember doing a, just because like we were talking about, I'm just kind of fascinated with carnivals and they were always something that I, I loved as a child. I did a story for village voice and I went and interviewed all the different, the people at the carnivals oh. and the people and um you know the do you make 
good money on a carnival? They no. were no, and they were also you know the the things that they have to deal with too, because a lot of people get get uh, loaded. There's a lot of often drugs. Um, there's a lot of drugs there. There's a lot of gang activity that goes to the carnivals. You know, sort of late at night. And he was telling me about yeah. how guys would pull guns on him because he's like the gun guy, you know, and guys would pick out real guns. Oh shit! Pull, yeah, it was a uh, it was a it was a crazy story. But then also sometimes with those carnivals, you also have. Um, uh, religious uh, uh, people uh, mm-hmm. going along with them and trying to proselytize because they know that there are going to be people that are following the carnivals that that might be searching for something. So it's a you know it's, it's a, a very fascinating. It's, it's, world. It is. It's fascinating. So when it comes to Glenn Rogers, the truth will never really be known as far as how many people he killed. The information about his background is convoluted for a lot of reasons. And a lot of information, as Jack said earlier, comes from his brother, Clay, who came from the same dysfunctional, poisonous background as Glenn. The rest comes from Glenn, who is a sociopathic killer. So everything he says also needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And several investigations were reopened following Glenn's capture, especially in those states where he had allegedly killed From tips, police did a few excavations in search of more bodies, but such efforts were inconclusive. Even male victims were considered, given the Mark Peters murder. It looked as if Glenn Rogers killed as much for gain as he did for sport or for some other type of sexual or emotional release. Glenn Rogers lived for attention from women, from the media, from his mother, anything. And this being said, it's something we have to bring up in case you Google Glenn Rogers. We weren't going to bring it up because it's ludicrous. However, when Clay did his interview for my brother, the serial killer, he claimed that his brother, Glenn, killed Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. He admitted to killing them. And yes, Glenn also admitted to killing them. But that is clearly untrue. Um, yeah. And the reason why he said this is because apparently he worked as a handyman in her building. But there's no proof of that. This is or just evidence at all. He just said this. And um, Nicole's sister, Denise, said, this is total crap. This is bullshit. No, OJ killed my sister and Ron. And the Goldmans feel the same way. They both agree that this is a pathetic attempt for Glenn to get more attention and notoriety. But it is something like if you guys go and Google Glenn Rogers after this, it is the main thing that pops yeah, up. Yeah, and we had to bring it up, but I, I didn't want to. Yeah, no, no. You got it because insane. we know we know people are going to Google it. And yeah. It's just, it's, Not it's true, one of those guys. things where, yeah. And, and again, it's sort of like when you think about him admitting to every other murder, admitting to these ones that he obviously didn't do, and still not admitting to the Linda's. murder of her mom. Of Linda's, yeah, that's just there was something. It's Crazy. infuriating, but there was something in him that that made him feel that a bothered bit, him about a yeah. little bit negative, Imagine or just that. different. Yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable. Wow. Or ashamed. I don't know if you can feel shame when you're somebody like him, but no, I, they, I think you can. Yeah, I think you can. So where is Glenn now? Well, he's in Florida on death row where he's been for 24 years and he's had multiple appeals over and over within those last 24. So Glenn Rogers has been sitting on death row since he was sentenced in 97. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, first of all, he was sentenced to death in both California and Florida. And I'm not surprised that he was sent to Florida because we don't really execute people in California anymore. So that alone makes me feel like they wanted to execute him. But they haven't. 
for one re- reason or another. Mm-hmm. My grandmother and aunt and uncle, aunts and uncle, had to fly out to Florida for the case in Florida. And they spent a week there or so. Um, so they would keep us up to date of what was going on there. And then, of course, he received the death penalty there, which was relief. We thought, okay, he's got a death penalty. It'll be a matter of time. We'll get justice. So, you know, he's got two death penalties. They, they will not prolong, you know, this no more than 10, maybe 15 years. But that wouldn't be the case. But, of course, you know, that was very short-lived, being how it's been almost 24 years later. Not honestly gotten a straight answer. They said, well, he had so many times to appeal. And every year we're told, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. We have been told that for the last 10 years. You know, and it's kind of to the point where, well, you know, is it ever going to happen? I mean, now it looks like it's going to move forward. Um, he has no more appeals, so therefore he can't try to fight it anymore. So I asked Crystal if she thought she would feel better if Glenn was executed. I don't know if I'll feel better. I don't know if it'll even change me at all because the damage, I mean, really has done. But every year for the last 24 years, every year we have had to relive it. We've done interviews, and I have done very few. I've only done one when I was younger and then one about four years ago and then now. And the one a few years ago that I've done, it helped me so much to actually be able to talk about it and get it out because I, this has, it, it, I deal with it very differently. The older I've gotten, the harder it gets. You know, you who don't want their mother there by their side, you know, through life. There's days I get so mad and I say, you know, I just need you here. So I really, I don't think it'll help much because I still don't have her. But maybe I won't be as scared. You know, I just, I guess it's just more of us to have him out of, just out of the picture, the equation. Crystal's heart isn't the only one that's broken. We have all of the family members of all of Glenn Rogers' victims to consider here, and they've all been waiting for 24 years. And I cannot imagine the emotional suffering and Lord knows what other kind of suffering they've all been dealing with since Glenn took their loved ones away. And then we were contacted by the victim's advocate in Florida to write letters to say how this has affected us. The murders of these victims, how has it played a part in our life? These families, not just this family, these families need closure. There's no sense in going on, wasting all this money to house and feed someone that had so little care for human life. It's time to get it over with. So Crystal sent us the letter that she sent to the governor 
and a lot of it details much of what she shared with us today, but I'm going to read some of the last paragraph so you guys can get an idea of truly how important this is to her. She said, today I am 38. It's been almost 24 years. I still have battles and fight demons. I can describe the pain the murder of my mother has caused, but unless you lived it, words couldn't honestly describe it. I have lived a life of fear, heartache, anguish, always questioning and second-guessing people. There's always a rainbow after a storm, and God bless me with a good life and wonderful family. I've prayed constantly for strength and peace. So, it's time for closure. The women he murdered and the families of the murdered victims deserve justice to be served. I plead and beg of you, let's end this. Glenn Rogers does not deserve to go on living, even if it's in prison. He's still walking, talking, eating, drinking. He can still talk to his family. He can still smile and laugh and joke. He is alive and breathing while my mother lays in a casket cold in the ground. He's alive while a big part of us died when he took my mother. He does not deserve to have what he took away from those women. He deserves far worse than what can be given to him, and he will only receive that when he goes before the man upstairs. Please, I beg, sign the execution papers. We deserve closure and peace of mind. And then she signed her name, followed by remembering always Linda Price, Sandra Gallagher, Tina Marie Cribs, and Andy Giles Sutton. And Crystal, we commend you and support you so much on this entire journey. You've demonstrated so much strength and thank you so much for letting us share your story. So what do we learn today? It's relatable and scary Mm -hmm. just for a normal girl going out with her friends or with other people around like it's not like anybody put themselves in the wrong situation or we're rocking down a dark alley Mm -hmm. like he really just found people and i mean linda was with her family in mississippi state fair linda was with her family um andy was with her roommate. roommate yeah you know tina was with three friends yeah and uh sandra joined glenn and his friends so it's hard and it had just called her husband you know it's it's like you feel like you're safe but there are wolves in sheep's clothing everywhere potentially everywhere and anywhere yeah all right well big thank you to crystal for being our first degree connection thank you so much you have so much strength for what you've been through it's I cannot imagine. And we feel very honored to share your story um, with all of our listeners. So I hope that we did it justice. Um, If anybody listening has a first degree connection to a murder or other stranger than fiction story, please write us. Hello at the first degree podcast.com. Go get some first degree merch. And we're still doing our review giveaway. So if you leave us a five star review on Apple podcasts, leave your Instagram handle in the comments. We are picking two winners each week to get some free first degree merch. So get right in. And, um, and remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But, but not, not that, that close. close. Happy first love day. <laughs> Happy cheeseburger. Oh, yeah, cheeseburgers. And not sponsored. <laughs> Stick around after this because we're going to kill some time. But before we kill some time, sources for today's episode include articles by Nick Riccardi for the LA Times, articles written by Catherine Ramsland. She wrote multiple articles. We used numerous court documents as well as 
the Cincinnati Inquirer. But first and foremost, our interviews are always our biggest source. Welcome to Killing Time, our after show. We don't know what it is yet, and we also don't even really know what the name is yet. The Killing Time. Please let us know on some after show notes if it, there should be a the in Killing Time. Like, it just sounds like, more uh, profound. The Killing Moon. I think that's where you're getting that from. Echo and the Bunnymen. Echo and the Bunnymen. That's it. Yes. and uh, So are you voting on the or are you voting on no the? I'm abstaining. And <laughs> as far as I just no. noticed, you're, you've got black... Fingernail or uh, uh, toenail polish, well, which was, is very goth of you. Billy, I was going. Oh, and so, <laughs> and so does Alexis. I was going to bring this up because we're trying to be the spooky nerds, aka goths, and really fit in with Billy Jensen's lifestyle. So we have started painting our nails black. Oh, okay, that's great for for Halloween. The or truth, is this gonna be, the yeah. truth is, me, Jack, and our friend Anna were going to the spa, and we were watching the Dave Chappelle special on my bed, and they were like, "Alexis, your black toenails look so sexy." And then they all did it. Yeah, <laughs> I really like it. It, <laughs> it is, looks so good. It is, you know, look at that. It's very festive for the Halloween season, mm-hmm. and it also covers up any inconsistencies in color on the toenails. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And then it's, it's it's nice and sexy. And then also goes with my toe ring. All right. Oh, yeah. You still wear toe rings. Wow. I recently got a toe ring. You didn't have one before? I haven't had a toe ring since I was 14 years old. Oh. Yeah. Well, I broke out my all of my Halloween shirts. Oh. I saw you yep. went on some like buying spree I when did. you were gone. You I bought on, all the Halloween I, shirts? Well, I, I have some Halloween shirts and then I bought a bunch. Of, I have a shirt that says, I believe in the great pumpkin. Oh my god! Because I do. Where are, you, where are you buying these from? Target. I have a count. No, I do not buy my shirts at Target. No, I Why buy are you them talking on about Target like that. I buy them on Etsy. Oh. No, if I spend two hundred dollars on Target, which I do like every other week, yeah, uh, it's not it's not for shirts. No, I buy them on Etsy and buy like you know um, from independent designers. Yes, mm. that's what I do. The Count Chocula shirt, I believe, was from like uh, Retro Gogo or Creepy Company or something like that. So oh yes, shout them out. Doing. Yeah, shout them out, man. You love you love a graphic tee. I, I you know what? Not overall graphic. I like a minimalist graphic tee. A black tee with a with a little bit of stuff on it. Do you know it. what you're gonna be for Halloween? I do not know yet. Me do you Jack dress up? Now. Um I've dressed up on occasion. Yeah. What does that mean? Do you? Yeah. Every I, have year? A, I have a fantastic Woody outfit that I wear from from Toy Story. <laughs> Alexis listen, looks like she's going to barf. Listen, I play to my body type, all right? Okay. So it's basically... That's That's Have you fair. ever been Gumby? It's Jack, it's Jack Skeleton. <laughs> or, or Gumby. This, or, or, Gumby no. would be good for no, you. Gumby, you're, Gumby's you're like, very Gumby-like. Oh, I'm not very Gumby-like. Slenderman. <gasps> yeah, I, yes, I could Slenderman be Slenderman, would be great. No, I would not do that. Jack Wait. and I are being matching outfits this year. What yes. is it? JoJo Siwa. Yep. Who? What? <laughs> How do you not know who JoJo I didn't Siwa either. is? I didn't either. I, I didn't know her either. You didn't know who JoJo Siwa is? Until you and Jared told me well, that one time. I didn't until I went down a JoJo Siwa black hole. She's crazy. She's like a 16-year-old 
like child phenom. She's on Dance Moms, but now she has her own thing. And she's she like dresses, a billionaire. She she's so fucking rich. She dresses up in all these sparkly outfits, does these really weird dances. Her voice is like Guy Fieri, but like in a girl. And she wears her hair in a big Ponytail. side pony with a huge mm. sparkly bows. Okay. And I think that she is part of the New World Order, and she is giving subliminal messages to the youths. Okay. Through her music. So. I was going to be like Sailor Moon, but Jack said, just be Jojo Siwa. And I said, okay. And the subliminal message from her worked. Wow. And I disagreed. All right. So are we are we safe to say I that- I want to be Harley Quinn or Harley Quinn Sailor Moon. All, all the firsties now are probably going to be- Jojo Siwa. Jojo Siwa, That's because fine. you just said it because of this thing that, we that she's got. We just all need to be Jojo Siwa and like be part of it. So we're all in like the inner crowd. All right. So. I'll be Jojo Siwa too. Yes. What, what were you at, What was your favorite costume as a child? As a um, child. Ooh, as a child. I was a troll once when I, I was, was a kid. I was a bride. A bride. <laughs> That's weird. So weird. At like six, I was. my parents let me be a bride. That's so fucking weird. That was a good one. That's weird. Did you ever buy a... a I have pictures know, of this. Were they always handmade costumes? or? or, or? I always made my own costumes. My favorite costume that I've ever done, well, this was with my fucking psycho ex-boyfriend, but we were Brittany and Justin, like the denim on denim. Mm -hmm. That was a great costume. And then my other favorite costume is me and our other best friend, Anna, were Dumb and Dumber, but like sexy versions. Oh, sexy Dumb I would and Dumber. do that this year. I've already done it. I know. Do you still have the costume? I need something new. <laughs> no. Can I borrow that? No, because you're going to be Jojo Siwa with me. I know, but I like multiple costumes. You can be Guy Fieri so, with me. So I don't guys, want to be Guy Fieri. Do you sexy Guy Fieri? <laughs> that That's what I'm going to do. That yes. doesn't play to my body type. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wear like like a fire, like high cut bikini bottom and dye the... I don't know what I'll do for my hair. Yeah, that I doesn't interest me at all. Sexy Guy Fieri doesn't interest nope. you? Nope. Sexy Guy Fieri is something that would go viral. That's not just trying to go viral mm -hmm. for the right reasons. For the right reasons. <laughs> Can I be a food? I'll be like a cheeseburger. Yeah. And we're like one of those Hashtag like cheese, real. cheeseburger like body yeah. costumes. You want to do that? Yeah. What do you, where do you come into play? You want to be a French fry? That works. Oh, oh, really? I'd be a shake more than a French fry. A shake? No, your body type is a French fry. Yeah, but but I'm talking about the straw and everything. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Billy's just a straw. You would get be the slip you would get stoned for being a straw in LA. We're not I would be have a, I would be a paper straw. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. So, it, well, back in back in my day. You would go to the uh, the drugstore and you would see all of these costumes, and they were just basically a vinyl sheet that you would put over yourself and then a mask. Yeah. And then I was Luke Skywalker, obviously, but I was also Peter Chris, the drummer from Kiss, and that was like my favorite outfit. Why were you him out of all the members of? Because he sang Beth, and I'm very sensitive, and that's my favorite song. Beth. Kiss. Yeah. I love the name Beth. It's my yeah. favorite dog. Do you not know the song, Beth? No, I don't. I'm just thinking about my other childhood costumes, and they're fucked up. Why? I, I was a victim from the Scream movie <laughs> in fifth grade. And I'm like, what's wrong with my family? <laughs> You're just like thinking about your Rita, childhood. Rita was really... too. Rita and I, it was our favorite movie. Scream was our favorite movie. Rita's my best friend since second grade. And we both dressed up like bloody murder victims. And I cannot believe my family thought that was okay. Maybe that's where everything stemmed from. Shit. Yeah. A bride in that. Fuck. At least no wonder like I'm so fucked up. Bloody bride. That could be this mm -hmm. year. Oh. Well, I mean, the bride from the Haunted Mansion 
the whole thing about the haunted mansion, the whole story about the haunted mansion, is that there was a bride, and she would kill her. She killed her husband. She would kill. That's the one of the stories. Yeah, yeah. That's dark. Yeah. Disneyland is dark as fuck. Yeah, I know all the weird sexual shit they've put in their their. No, not even just that. I'm talking about. <laughs> I love ever, that the artist did that. I'm have sure. you ever gone to like the the, <laughs> the the Pinocchio ride in Disneyland? Is so twisted. Mister Toad's Wild Ride is basically a guy on acid trip on mushrooms. Is a guy. Yeah, he's a guy that that is on. I think he's more on coke, and he's like really into driving. And then he literally go, he gets hit by a train and goes to hell. And you're, but you're him as a driver in the thing, dude. All Disney shit. Like, hey, have you seen kids. Bambi? Yeah. Well, it's all dark. Anything from the past is dark because yeah. they're dealing with dark. Like any childhood nursery rhyme is about the plague. Totally. And like back then, in like they were all just alcoholics. Yeah. Everybody that existed. <laughs> That's why they had to do prohibition because it was like the entire society. Everyone life was so horrible that everyone just drank all day and was miserable. I drink all day and I'm not even miserable. I can't even imagine. Are you not though? <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Me either. Well, you know what we should, you know what I would like to see um, on our uh, Facebook page. What? People tell us your their favorite. All the firsties tell us their favorite uh, childhood costume. I like that. Yeah. I want some costume inspo. Cos- yeah, yeah. And your answers and will who- determine what kind of parents you have. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and whether you might end up on the first degree or not. Right, that's true. Okay, <laughs> give us your uh, your costume recommendations. Yes. Yeah. And we need to think of a sign off from this. But until then, <laughs> until then, you just killed some time with us. Ah. So thanks. We'll, we'll hone in on that, on that later. Killing some time with us. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for killing some time. We like killing time and so do you. Goodbye forever. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs>